Now our section for study and reading today is in Galatians, the end of chapter 5. So we're just reading a few verses from Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 to the end of the chapter. And then the first part of chapter 6 up to verse 10. So I want to really just take these two bits separately. So I take the, uh, the first part, which is just the last few verses of chapter 5. I'll read that now together and we'll make some comments about that. And then we'll move on to chapter 6. The subject matter for the study today is uh, doing good and reaping a harvest. That's doing good and reaping a harvest. So let's just read, first of all, the three verses. of. Uh, so it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This concludes the part, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't hear David's um, ministry on it, of uh, life by the Spirit and the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives and leading and guiding us. And it brings into focus at the end of this section, and again, I don't apologise if I repeat myself, because as I've said before, if things are repeated, they're repeated for a purpose. And if the Lord wants them said twice, then it's because there are people maybe not have been here or heard the one before, or it needs to be emphasised. So no um, apologies uh, for it. But what it's focusing in again is the, the difference that there is and we need to recognise of being in Christ Jesus and being of Christ Jesus. We are, of course, in Christ Jesus as believers in the Lord Jesus, uh, people who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as a saviour, and as we know in the term as Christians, uh, people who know their uh, future is secure in Christ Jesus. What we are looking at here is the people who are of Christ Jesus, and that takes us into the realm of service and looking at how we should follow him under the power of the Holy Spirit and what is expected of us, how we should conduct ourselves. Unfortunately, there are many uh, categories of Christian and uh, there are those, of course, who can just accept the fact that they are in Christ Jesus, they have their future secure, they're looking forward uh, one day to be in heaven. Uh, and if they die, they'll go to heaven. And if the Lord comes back, they'll take them. And pretty much, that's it. That's all they're concerned about. But what Paul's been teaching here, that we have the Holy Spirit within us. For what purpose? Well, of course, the obvious one is maybe that he gives life. We wouldn't have life eternal if we weren't indwelt by the living Spirit of God. We, the Spirit 
teaches us things, opens up our mind. God's spirit within us communicates with our spirit and reveals things that we would never see for ourselves. And if those have had experience of that personally, of maybe trying to read the Bible as an unbeliever, and then experiencing it, of reading it as a believer, would know exactly what I'm talking about. Things, as an unbeliever, without the Holy Spirit within you, the Bible is just words, darkness, mystery, stumbling block. And so, when it talks about, in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus is referring to those who recognize the Holy Spirit working within them, recognize that not only are they in Christ Jesus, but they belong to Christ Jesus, and therefore they are giving their lives to him. And how they conduct themselves, how we conduct ourselves, is of extreme importance to God. Because why would he have bothered setting it up like this? Why would he have called us? Why would he asking us through his word to follow him and live our lives in a particular way? And so this is why it's directed through Paul here, through the Galatians letter to the rest of us, to understand that there is a purpose in God's calling. And therefore, when it says in verse 24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. That's what's expected of us. That's what's <coughs> expected of a Christian. That once this transformation has taken place uh, from people and Paul was directing this mainly at Gentiles who had come away from idol worship and their transformation was very obvious and extreme. Uh, that they would have moved away from the what's referred to as the fleshly lusts and desires of the things of this world. When I was thinking about this, of course, many of us don't have that experience. We haven't come from the depths of depravity and sinfulness. Some of us have just had a fairly uh, quiet upbringing uh, and never really sort of crossed too many boundaries and had a very sort of almost Christian type upbringing. Recognising uh, those of us who were brought up by Christian parents, of course, were taught right from the time you could sit on their knee and listen uh, about God, about the Lord Jesus. And so you're brought up in that environment. The point that comes when you make a decision um, is sometimes blurred and difficult, um, particularly people who are, like I've just described, who've been brought up in Christian homes. And I was one of those, and I've mentioned it before, but uh, where you come to a point when you begin to question, am I saved? Because my life hasn't really changed very much. Nothing's dramatically happened in my life. I've always known there was a God. I've always assumed there was Jesus Christ. And, and I was told that he died for my sins. And why would I believe anything else? 
But of course, as you get older, you get confronted with varying opinions and uh, challenges to this that cause you to think, well, do I believe this? <laughs> and I think, you know, when we, we think about it, and we've been talking about this quite a lot in our study of Galatians, referring to James and other places in Scripture, where you know that by their works shall you know them, and uh, therefore, how do we tell whether somebody is saved? Can we see it? And if we can't, there is a big question mark. And this, I think, is what Paul is, is homing in on here when in this verse 24 is that he says that people who actually belong to or are of Christ Jesus have crucified the old desires, have crucified, put to death publicly, made a proclamation and are open about the fact of what is sin, what is evil, and the struggle with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of Jesus Christ, in focusing on the love of God, are going to overcome that in a dramatic way. So it's not just a case that Paul's saying here of, well, try and live the best life you can. It's a case, crucify your earthly, fleshly desires. What does that look like? What does that mean? I think this is a tremendous challenge to us to really look at our own lives as Christians, who are people who are saying we are Christians, is have we crucified these earthly desires? Well, first of all, you've got to go, what are we? As I said before, some of us are brought up in a, a, a very uh, Christian-like environment and we, we don't actually do many of these evil things. We don't get involved in some of the things that you read about in the paper or you see in the television. We're not, we're not into that. That's not just what we need to look at. Is when we're talking about crucifixion, it's an expression that was used about death in as much that it has to be seen to be happening. That was the way the Romans did it, is they wanted to frighten people. They wanted everybody to see that this death was elevating their power and that they were saying, we are powerful. We are putting these enemies that they refer to up on a cross for everybody to see and to let them see them dying slowly. Because when you're up there, you don't come down alive. And that was generally recognised, and sometimes they were up there for days, I believe, weeks. Uh, and it's a public spectacle. This is what Paul's referring to here. That it's important, our witness, that it's important that people see that we have crucified these earthly desires. So, when we look at what are these things, it's important that we identify them. The things that take us away from the Lord. The things that take up our time, which are not spiritually beneficial. They are not God-honouring. They are not what God wants us to do. 
I think for a Christian, uh, what the Lord wants is to enjoy him, to, to be of Christ Jesus, is this sense of belonging. And when you belong to somebody, when you are of Christ, you are engrossed, steeped in what he wants, how he lived his life, and to be doing the things that he did and that he desires. So the challenge comes in, is it, and it goes back again, I think it's been referred to many times, but WWJD, is that sometimes we have to stop and think to ourselves, you know, should I involve myself in this? Because if Jesus was with me, and he's my mate, and I'm taking him out for the evening, where would you take him? And it's a very good thing, I think, to have that challenge all the time. And it's not a case, as I used to think, that Christianity, and particularly being in churches of God, was a case of you don't go there and you don't do that and you don't do the next thing. And there was a whole list of don'ts, and life is pretty boring. And, I, you know, I'd, if I wasn't a Christian or I wasn't in churches of God, then I could be able to enjoy myself. <laughs> uh, that's a very um, stupid, should I say, very uh, simplistic and uh, uh, childish way of looking at it, and it certainly was the way I was looked at it, because it's, a, it's coming from somebody who doesn't understand and appreciate the joys of being of Christ Jesus and getting steeped in the things of God which are so much more enjoyable and it's not a case of don't do this it's a case of take Christ with you and do that and if you feel comfortable about that that's fine enjoy nature enjoy play enjoy each other uh, with Christ with you and Keep him with you and enjoy life with him and he'll reveal far, far deeper and more things than we would ever have done if we had just tried to have separate compartments where on a certain time or a certain day we have Christ. <coughs> but I don't have Christ with me on a Monday because that's the day I go and do this and the next thing which are really worldly desires. Not questioning a lot of things, but I just think it's something that we need to be looking at in our lives. And this is where I think this crucifixion comes in, is that it has to be seen as a decision, definite decision in our lives as to what is of Christ and what isn't. And separate these two and crucify the stuff which does not do you any good, which Paul goes on to refer to as stuff that causes conceit, provokes envy, and causes difficulties amongst ourselves. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It takes away a lot of the um, argument about, as somebody once said to me, why is being a Christian so difficult? 
it's difficult because when we try to um, live by the flesh as well as live by the spirit and there's conf constant conflict and that constant conflict causes difficulties and as this person said to me it's so difficult uh, a struggle to be a Christian because I'm trying actually living two lives and it's not easy and it isn't those of us who've tried it it is not easy you can't do it you're either one thing or the other so if you live by the spirit then you keep in step with the spirit and what is that well the spirit is of course is god and he is wanting us to understand and appreciate him as part of the godhead as the one who reveals the, the godhead as the one who shows us christ and his love he again it's an awareness of him being in us all the time if we are following him we are aware of him in us if we are aware of and we and another argument that sometimes put is well how do we know what to do you know the spirit doesn't seem to speak the spirit speaks through the word of god so if you don't read the bible if you never read the bible and the only feed that you get from god is what other people say or maybe a little text then it's inevitable you're going to struggle with following the will of god it's inevitable that the spirit is not going to lead in your or my life we have to be fed it's often said you know it's important you know that when we bring up our children that we teach them to read the bible uh, we give them a bible and we try and, and nowadays there's many different versions of the bible and, and, and it's very easy to read when, when i was first given my bible first bible i couldn't understand it it was ye old english and <laughs> uh, you had to interpret it into modern day english before you could even start to understand it now things are a lot easier especially with uh, things that you can download and such like and and so but the still the importance of uh, being led by the spirit has got to come um first of all from us and then to be taught the importance of teaching one another the importance of teaching our children because what it comes down to in the end of course first of all is that we want our children to be in christ the thought of the lord jesus christ coming tomorrow and us going and our children not should frighten us into action but also the thought of us not setting a very good example is something that we will be judged for at the judgment seat of christ we will give an account I think you know when, it's when Paul is, is hammering home here at the end of this chapter let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other 
he is clearly stating that the way we live our lives and the way the Galatians are living our lives is got to be clearly seen as spiritual as unto God. Do we live our lives that is causing envy to each other? Now that's a big challenge that because in Western society each of us we all come from different walks of life. We've all got different levels of wealth and we'll all live our lives, although in a fairly comfortable position, some better off than others. And so we get very easily into the habit of flaunting our wealth and we don't even realise we're doing it. When we roll in with our big car or we put on our new coat or we've got the most fashionable designer clothes on. Does that cause envy? Of course it causes envy. You know and I know it causes envy, but we do still do it. Why? We can justify it in different ways. How do we overcome that? Well, how we communicate with each other and how we portray it. So there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with having... Um, a lot of the things of this world but it's how we flaunt it it's how we portray it and if we are obviously uh, inviting people to come and see what we've got however it may be done I think that is what Paul's saying don't become conceited don't provoke and don't be envying each other. I'm not a great fan of modern social interaction on the internet. Um, partly because I don't even know how it works. I don't know how you use it. But it, it, it causes me great concern when I sometimes read about so-and-so who has so many thousand followers. And so-and-so, uh, they don't have quite so many. They've only got one or two. And you think, what were these people doing? They are flaunting in order to get people to follow them, to be interested in what they're doing, what they're buying, and where they're going, and what they're doing. That is causing envy. So I, I think in a modern-day setting, and trying to put this in what Paul's saying, is that it was evident 2,000 years ago. However, there were rich people there flaunting their wealth, flaunting the type of lifestyle they had, and they were not being led by the Spirit. They were of themselves. They were just interested in themselves. Let's go on to chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone does, if anyone thinks he is someone, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he will take pride in himself, without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please its sinful nature from the nat- from that nature will re will reap re- destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong. My Bible says to the family of believers. You might say to the household of the faith. This is about the doing of good. It's the outward working of our Christianity. It's the outward working of our following the spirit of God. It's the outworking of our lives. It starts, Paul starts here in verse 1 about somebody who has been caught in sin. I think there are very many ways in which people sin. We all sin. And there are different things. Uh, you know, there's like the willful sin of somebody who sits down and decides to sin and knows quite well, and again, talking about Christians here, who knows fine well that the word of God states against this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I mean, it's willful disobedience. And there are other sins, that maybe the other spectrum, where we do them unconsciously. We're not even aware it's a sin, but we actually do it. And um, you know, I don't know whether you, I remember being taught at the end of the day to ask the Lord to forgive my sins, whatever they were, because I must have sinned and I don't know I've done it. So we'll just cover them all, <coughs> which of course the Lord has done. But there's almost like this middle category here where this is somebody who is, um, is caught in a sin. And it, it might be some, you know, it's so easy in sin to be caught up and follow somebody else and uh, who drag you into it. And, or you don't actually stop and think about it. You just go through that, find yourself really doing something and there's something in the back of your mind nagging you saying, maybe you shouldn't do this. Better not read my Bible because the Bible will probably tell me not to do it. So I won't read the Bible. I can justify ignorance. This is somebody here who is surprised. When you look up the word caught in sin, has been surprised in sin. It's only a realization. Oops, you know, shouldn't have done that. If you catch somebody like that, then somebody who is spiritual should restore him gently. Who's that? Isn't it the importance of mixing with people who are spiritual? Because if you don't, then there is nobody who's going to correct you, correct me. Because if I mix with people who are not spiritual, who are not reading the Bible, who are um, indulging in iffy areas, if I could call them that, in other words, it's sin, sinful desires that come into that middle category I was telling you about. Not willful sin, not sitting down saying, hey, I'm going to do it anyway. But really, by ignoring it, doing it in ignorance, which is no um, excuse at all, but 
go along with it, then it's important that somebody spiritual draws near to them and deals with them gently. Now, that's not somebody coming and saying, you know, hey, you should be like me. <laughs> that is definitely not the way to do it. It's somebody, again, and it comes back to where I started, is that you, when you're, if you're somebody who is allowing the Holy Spirit to lead in your life, then your life will be seen by others to be somebody who is desirous to follow the Spirit and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ to try as best he can to live a humble life like Christ did, uh, who is obviously seen to be crucifying the desire of the flesh. And so therefore, that person can gently come up to the person who's sinned and draw near to them. And that gentleness is the gentleness of Christ, because that's how he'd have done it. And he would have had every right to have said, you should be like me. But he didn't. He dealt with it in a gentle way. And that's how we should do it. But we need that importance of fellowship, mixing with spiritual. And to have the spiritual, these people who are endeavouring to be like Christ, to be able to deal gently. We are talking about the burden bearing, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ which has taken over from the law of Moses. Nothing wrong with the law of Moses other than, as we've said time and time again, it could never be kept. The law of Christ is being in Christ and being of Christ and being aware of the Holy Spirit within us, guiding and directing us. The law of Christ is wanting to do good to others. And that is carrying the burdens. You go to Isaiah 53 and you read there, as in other places, but particularly there, about burden bearing in Christ Jesus. He bore the burdens of everyone. He bore our sorrows. He carried our sins. So that's what we should do for each other. We, in the small um, environment that we're in, whether it be not just, but it can be just looking at the Church of God in Manchester, or it's your family and your neighbours, in other words, the people you know that you are working with or studying with or whatever, that is the environment that the Lord has put you in. And that is where you carry these burdens, but especially uh, in the household of the faith, which I believe is in the churches of God. But also if, if you take it for it's the family of believers in the body of Christ, uh, but it's not even just that, it's, it's showing it to all men. But primarily, the Christians you're mixing with, that you're working with, and let it spread out. That, um, is something that we should do, but not in pride. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
There should be no pride. There was no pride in Christ. And again, it is dangerous and it is wrong for us to set ourselves up as some spiritual uh, superior. Because if we keep comparing ourselves with Christ, we'll stay humble. It doesn't matter who you are or how knowledgeable you are of Scripture or how spiritual you are. You're nowhere near Christ. And so therefore there is no need, there's no justification for pride that we call spiritual pride, if you want to use that term, that of pompous uh, inflation that you are somebody when you are nobody. Because we are all nobodies. We are only somebody in Christ Jesus. The more Christ we have, the more maybe somebody we are. We have a responsibility uh, for our actions. Um, our actions should be tested. Uh, and then we can take pride uh, in comparing yourself uh, to somebody else for each one should carry his own load. We're all going to give an account. We're all going to stand before the Lord one day. And... Uh, what the, the Lord said in Matthew 11 is that my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. So there's a sense in which we, we, we shouldn't, as in verse 2, um, we should carry each other's burdens. But also in verse 6, it says that we should be careful. Sorry, verse 5. For each one should carry his own burden. These are not the same burdens. To carry your own burden and to carry the burdens of others. If you look up the Greek words there, they are different. Um, when the Lord said that, you know, when you become a Christian, you'll take a yoke, you'll take a burden. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ has its... Uh, when I say problems, it, it has its yoke that you'll have to carry because people hated Christ. People crucified Christ. People thought Christ was just a, a no-hoper, um, a useless character who just caused a bit of trouble. Nothing's changed. It's the same today. So if we follow Christ, these people who said that 2,000 <coughs> years ago are still around. And, but when we are talking about taking each other's burdens, that is more in the, in the way of the Lord taking the burdens on the cross. When we recognise that as brethren and sisters together, that there are some people with heavy burdens that are struggling, then it is our responsibility to be led by the Spirit to show Christ-likeness and to help and to do it in a gentle and humble way that will assist but at the same time we are responsible for our burdens as Christians as uh, expressing Christ likeness in our lives do you understand the difference <laughs> <clears throat>
just in closing, just speed on a bit there. <clears throat> Verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, that can be a little bit confusing when you're talking about eternal life for a Christian. Do we not all have that? I think, you know, again, it's coming back to our, how we live our lives here. That if we are sowing to ourselves, if we are spending a lot of time and effort in order to improve ourselves, to better ourselves, to, to gain things in this world, then that's what you're going to get. <laughs> um, which you might think is a bit odd, but it's, if you're putting that effort in, then it is an earthly benefit, which is only temporal. And in fact, you probably find it isn't even that. In many cases, you find that you've put in so much effort to try and elevate yourself or improve yourself in the image of others that it's not worked, because it very rarely does. But if you are working for the Spirit, you're working for the Lord, if you are seeking to be pleasing to Him, then it comes across, or another expression is abundant life. That, that word there about the um, eternal life and abundant life is an expression really that you will be filled with the things of God. And it's eternal. It will take you on into the after afterlife because what you have done in this world will be you will be rewarded for. So there is a sense in which how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves, what we do for God, will survive the the flaming fire of the eyes of Christ. And what have you done for me? And the wood, hay and the stubble is what you've all done for you. We've done for ourselves. And that burns up. That's rubbish. The Lord's not interested in that. You've already had your reward. If you worked hard and you worked for yourself and you became a millionaire and you enjoyed the things of this world thing, that's it then. That Christ's not interested in that. You've had your reward. What have you done for me? What is your appreciation of what I did for you on the cross? What is your appreciation of eternal life? That's what goes on into the future. That's what we'll be rewarded for. So, in the last part of this, it's all about let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Many give up. For various reasons, it's too hard, like the person I spoke to that I mentioned at the beginning. Why is it so hard? That, uh, because they're fighting with the natural nature, flesh, against the things of God, and they give up because it's too hard. For those that don't give up, there will be a reward. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let's support each other in prayer.
we support each other financially. We know the, the, when we look at things in the fellowship about the good works, how much is, is done for uh, those less fortunate than ourselves. And these are good works. But they have to be, there has to be more than just the, the feeling of, well, I'll give money. I've done my bit. Um, we know the story of the, the widow with the mites. You know, sometimes we give of our wealth and it's not, we don't even notice it. What about the prayer support? And really mean it. And the understanding of the fact that there are some amongst us who are really suffering. There are really amongst us mentally suffering, maybe even physically suffering. And there are certainly people in third world countries who are struggling. We pray about them. How do we pray about them? Do we pray in the spirit of God, in the knowledge that we are deeply affected and we want to help? Or I've done my job, I put an extra fiver in the box and uh, I've mentioned it to God just in case he'd forgotten. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's a difference in how we do it. Are we in the spirit? Are we of Christ Jesus? Is that how Christ prayed? Is that how Christ gave? The importance of involvement, supporting, and prayer that is heartfelt and meaningful before God. So it's not just living a good life for ourselves and not doing bad things. It's Paul's talking about here is a life of worth that he can use. And it's not a case of not doing this and not doing that. It's a case of doing this and doing that. And how we will give of our time and our work. Shall we pray?